0: So, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's an American election coming up. It seems like it's been going on since at least 2015 now, but they tell us that it's, it's nearly at the end, maybe. Now, perhaps you're fatigued by American politics or have tuned it out amidst our current COVID realities, but over the past five years or so, American politics have been hard to escape. And I'm an American, I'm here in Canada, and I still can't get away from it. In Canada, here, too, we're bombarded by the coverage, and we feel the tensions amongst our neighbors to the South. The tensions of mistrust, the tensions of inequality, of violence, of division. And yet, and this is the point for understanding the text that's before us, those palpable tensions that we're witnessing today on our screens and over the radios still pale in comparison to the fear and the outrage that was pulled thin and tight over Roman occupied Judea in the days of Jesus. I'm going to try to paint the scene for you with Dan's help with the screen. Judea had been under Roman control for about. 90 years at this point in time, as we come to this text in Matthew. For 60 of those years, it was a subject kingdom of sorts, part of that time under the king's Herod, as you may know. But around the turn of the millennium, that is 0 AD, around the time that Jesus was born, Judea became a Roman province under direct Roman rule, following the rejection of one of Herod's sons. Just think of how the Christmas story of Luke 2 begins with a census being taken while Quirinius was the Roman governor of Syria. Direct Roman rule. This formalizing of Judea's subjugation to Rome and the new system of taxes that came with it, for which a census was needed, all caused tensions with Rome to rise. There's a failed rebellion leader mentioned in the book of Acts. His name was Judas the Galilean. He was the one leading the charge against Rome in these early years of Jesus's infancy, of his early life. And after Judas's rebellion was put down by the Romans, there were times of relative peace. But now, another 30 or so years later, and the tensions were growing again. These are the days of Jesus's ministry. And these are some of the reasons that everyone expected and longed for, a, a, for Jesus' movement to give them a political messiah that would overthrow and kick out the Roman occupiers. The time was ripe for it. People were ready. It's also, though, why the charge of being the king of the Jews was worthy of death by public crucifixion in Roman eyes. These were not small matters. Eventually, these tensions would culminate in all-out war with Rome in the year 66 A.D., and that would lead to the destruction of the temple in the year 70 A.D. Anyway, all this to say that taxes paid to Rome were a big deal. And these taxes weren't just numbers on your bank app, on your phone, on the screen. They were paid in real-life, tangible coin that you had to give up, symbolizing in a very tangible and visceral way the power of Rome over the Jews. So people gave up their lives in protest and rebellion against this tax. People were were willing to knife even their own fellow Jews if they discovered that they had collaborated with the Romans. There was a Simon in Jesus' own band of disciples who was one of these knife-carrying militiamen on the left called the Zealots. Of course, the times were polarized. There wasn't just a far left, there was also a far right. And so on the other side of the divide, there were collaborators, those Jews who were sympathetic to Rome. An example would be those despised tax collectors that you hear about in the New Testament, those sinners who worked with and for Rome. Now, Jesus had one of these in his band of disciples as well. It was Matthew himself, the tax collector. He had collected the Roman tax at the crossroads in Galilee, one of the major trade routes of that day. And there were other groups floating about, too. Slightly less extreme in their beliefs, but also on different sides of the polarized spectrum were the Pharisees and Herodians, the folks who showed up in our text today. The Pharisees were no friend to Rome. The Herodians were. So there you go. Tensions ran high in the land of Judea. The occupying force with their military state of Roman legions and collaborating tax collectors versus the highly religious, anti-Roman, anti-government militia that was the Zealots. Not only could you feel this tension if you would have been there in those days, but you could quite visibly see it, especially in Jerusalem in the temple courts where this incident from Matthew 22 takes place. So this is especially where we need this picture. Picture the religiously devout Jews some subversive among them, going about their prayers and their sacrifices and their teaching inside the temple courts, which is what this is. All the while, armed Roman soldiers are keeping watch above in their towers at the Antonia Fortress. And you can see that fortress if you look hard in this picture above as well. The Antonia Fortress shared a wall with the outer temple court. So it's that four-towered fortress built on to the temple complex in the upper right-hand corner of the picture, which meant it was in clear view of most all the worshippers who were literally underneath the Romans down in the courts. Now this section of Matthew's gospel is set in the final week before Jesus' crucifixion. Following his triumphal entry at the beginning of that week, Jesus began teaching in these temple courts, where we hear him speak some parables against the Pharisees and the chief priests. Not long after that, they began plotting for Jesus' arrest. So the approach of the Pharisees and the Herodians in verse 16, part of this plot. These groups were on different ends of the political spectrum, but they had found their common ground in opposition to Jesus. And of course, because this was all happening at the time of the Passover, every other Jew from the empire, zealots, collaborators, and everyone else was also in Jerusalem that day, listening in. Even Rome was listening in from their perch above in the fortress towers. So that was the audience. When the Pharisees and the Herodians came and buttered Jesus up with rich compliments about his honesty and his integrity and his impartiality, and then came the question, so, Jesus, you wonderful teacher, you, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? No pressure. Of course, a yes would incite the far-left zealots to action against Jesus and his movement, and a no would be sure to catch the ear of the Romans up above. On both sides were swords and violence. The answer to this question was not neutral. In fact, there's perhaps no question that could have captured the tension and the polarization of that moment as simply and as deeply as this one did. A lot of power turns on money. So do you pay the tax or not, Jesus? All eyes were on him. You hypocrites, comes the reply. Let's get it straight right now, Jesus seems to say. You're not interested in in an answer to this question. We both know that. You're just trying to trap me. Trying to get the zealots and the Romans to do the political dirty work for you. Jesus was on to them. And yet Jesus was also trapped. I can imagine the smiles begin to curl in the corners of his questioners' lips as they locked eyes with Jesus, both of them knowing that there was no good way out of this for him. He was indeed trapped between the swords of the zealots and the swords of the Romans. Now, there are any number of situations that arise in our relationship to government that can lead us into similar, albeit usually less perilous, conundrums. Sometimes our issues are between our faith and civic opportunities or responsibilities, as with the concerns from a few years back about the Canada Summer Jobs Program attestation, or the difficulty currently with the assistance in dying legislation that requires medical professionals who are unwilling to assist in a patient's death to make a referral against their conscience to a medical professional who will. At other times, and in fact, this is more likely the norm, the issue is between the proper application of our faith to any given social or political issue. This happens in Canada, certainly, which is why you can find faithful Christians voting conservative, liberal, NDP, green, and more. It's also why you can find quite a large variance in Christian observance of the health protocols and restrictions around COVID-19. Those differences become particularly contentious, though, at particular times and around particular issues or figures as we witness in the States, around political allegiance, mask wearing, and any number of things, and to some extent, here as well. It's Christians who have so thoroughly identified with their own party so as to nearly or actually disown fellow church members, family members of a different political stripe. And in the States, we see that happening among Republicans and Democrats here, maybe you've seen it as well. Opinions on the American political divide does divide us, um, even, though, even though we have no vote, no horse in the race here on this side of the border. It's purely on the idea of the thing, purely on the polarizing rhetoric, the personalities that draw us into the division that lead us to believe that, that we have to line up on one side or the other. And sometimes our faith imperatives kind of lean us that way as well. Sometimes the for would pit us against our family, and sometimes the against would pit us against our convictions. Sometimes it feels as though there is no good answer. And that's the nature and the difficulty of the question that was given to Jesus. Is it lawful to pay the tax to Caesar or not? Yes or no, the stakes were high. But after calling them out as hypocrites, Jesus continued in his response by asking for the coin. And they brought him one. Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Jesus asks. Caesar's, they reply. So get back to Caesar, what's Caesar's? And to God, what's God's? Jesus says, simply. Just like that, it was over. A third way opened up as Jesus gave his first and only political pronouncement. His questioners were dumbfounded and amazed. They turned and walked away, just stunned. Somehow Jesus had managed to get out of the trap. There would be no clash of kingdoms or swords on this day. Not yet. Now, beyond the unfathomable speed and wisdom of Jesus' response... Jesus also has, in this incredibly compact statement, given both they and the church a basis for understanding our relationship to the state that goes beyond just taxes. And that's what we'll get into a bit now. So first, it's a, it's a word for those who, especially in this current moment, would rather just throw in the towel and be done with the whole political endeavor. It's been far less contentious through these pandemic days so far in Canada than it was, say, a year or two ago. But it doesn't mean that you maybe haven't been burned by this at some point, whether by extreme rhetoric or mudslinging or raw exercises of power that you have witnessed. So maybe you don't vote, you turn off the news, you walk away from groups when they start talking politics. You're just, you're just not interested anymore. There's a position that we can hold in relationship to the government where we give too little interest and respect to it. Whether we be because we've been turned off by the politics or because we just you know never really cared for following the law of the land in the first place. Because there are also those who willfully neglect the laws and regulations of the land, especially when said laws make them do things that they'd rather not do, like pay taxes, social distance, wear a mask, etc so for all of us who are tempted to give too little respect to the government whether from disinterest dislike disenfranchisement jesus speaks these words to you jesus is not suggesting that we give back to caesar what is caesar's he is commanding it in other words as the rest of the new testament witnesses to Government is a God-instituted institution and must be respected. Government is entrusted with the upkeep of infrastructure like water and roads and sewer, as well as the keeping up of standards in education, food safety, and healthcare, which has become quite important these days, among other things. And all of these are good things, necessary for the common good, necessary for the flourishing of society, and again, something we're especially aware of now amid a pandemic. So Jesus commands us to give back what we owe in payment for services rendered to those in authority over us. And if that kind of respect was to be given to Caesar, the pagan emperor who set himself up as the divine God and gave no say or vote to any subjugated peoples, like the Jews, how much more does that command uh, how much more force does that command have today in a democracy, where the people hold political power over the government via our right to vote? Our form of government is participatory. and so participation and respect is what's due to the Caesar of democracy. And Jesus commands it. Second, while Jesus' statement lifts up the importance of government, it also limits it. And this is a word for those who are tempted to to baptize as Christian or to make absolute the claims of any single political party or political solution or political leader. Because to make an absolute claim for anything is to put it up in the place of God. When Jesus goes on to say, and give back to God what is God's, he means to say that there are indeed things that do not belong to Caesar. As Caesar's image was on the coin, we know that God's image is imprinted on us. So God demands much more than our money. He demands that we surrender all, all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, lovingly to him. And When that doesn't happen and we give our total allegiance to a particular political so- solution or leader or party instead, things not only get out of balance, but it often places us in dangerous territory. Glance across the border, again, can show you how. And again, I'm picking on them because I am an American, so that's what I do. Families are divided right now in the U.S. They can't talk to each other. I mean, we just had Canadian Thanksgiving. As American Thanksgiving comes again, there's a whole lot of quiet where families do still dare to get together. People can't talk to each other because political allegiance has risen above family ties. And the same is true in churches, because political allegiance has, in some cases, and on both sides, surpassed allegiance to God. And when that happens, government has transcended its God-ordained boundaries, and the results, as you can see, are divisive, division and discord. Not that long ago, I heard a fellow pastor in the CRC say that All human wars stem from our efforts to take the place of God. And I think he's on to something. When our allegiance to a particular politics or country is higher than our allegiance to morality or to the inherent human dignity of all people because they are created in the image of God, and certainly when our political or national allegiance is higher than our allegiance to God, abuses like those of the Nazis or other dictatorial regimes are given license to flourish. Or, as is much more often the case in our experience, it's much more the daily abuses of lesser degrees that pervade, like anti-indigenous discrimination in the healthcare and other government systems. So Jesus has set limits on the authority and the scope of government Indeed God will not tolerate any other gods, governments or nations to come before him. And we should not either. So Jesus commands us in relationship to government to not give too little or too much respect. We're called on to give back to our due to the state. And we're also called to keep any political or nationalistic claims from becoming absolute in our hearts or minds. They are not and cannot be at the same level as God. Now, that does not solve the thorny issues that divide us. From the U.S.'s political divide and politicization of masking, to our own questions around the extent of the government's response and interventions in a pandemic. But it does keep us within the boundaries of proper play as we are having these conversations. And to that end, Jesus also gives us a deeper thought to ponder. Give back to God what is God's, he says. And really, what doesn't belong to God? To the God who in Christ has claimed every square inch of our lives, of our world, of this universe. As Richard Mile once put it, does Caesar putting his picture on something really make it his? We give back to the government, and we participate in government. Not because of government or for its own sake. Every political entity and methodology is fallible and finite. It only takes a revolution or a war or a brief glance at history to realize that that's true. So we don't serve, we don't participate in and give back to the state for its own sake. We do it because God calls us to do it. As part of respecting him and the authorities that he has set over us in this world that belongs to him. The state is not an end in itself. It is a God-given means to the promotion of the common good in human society. But only God is completely just and good. Only Jesus can reconcile, divided people together into a unity as he did way back with Simon the Zealot and Matthew the Tax Collector, calling both to follow him. So our trust, our allegiance, are always first in God through Jesus Christ, because he is the one who saves us, not the government. And he is the only one who is worthy and trustworthy to receive our complete and total faith and trust. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me in prayer. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, these past five years have been tense, and now a pandemic on top of it, and all the cracks in society that have, that have revealed to us just how unjust our society, our structures, our systems still are, how much bias is still there, That has left some of us just entirely sick of the conversations, ready to turn off and tune out and and forget the whole civic enterprise altogether. And for others of us, it has crystallized and hardened our beliefs and our perspectives to to such an extent that they almost come into conflict with you, almost as articles of foundational and ultimate belief. Help us to hear your word again from Matthew 22. Call us back to total faith and allegiance to you first so that we can once again be reconciled together to have civil conversations about the things that are indeed important, but not ultimate. Help us to have a healthy respect For government and our responsibilities as citizens help us again to have a proper place and perspective for these conversations not letting them rise too high oh god these are challenging times but you remain god in the midst of it you continue to remind us that all of this world including our lives and our actions belong to you And so, Lord, help us to submit, once again, all of our lives, our world, our government, our elections, our actions to you. Even as we did earlier today in our congregational prayer, help us to do it every day as we go forward, seeking to be wise and faithful followers of you and members of this country in which you've placed us. We entrust it all to you in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, and our King. Amen.